Father, to your praise and glory, we stand this day. Father, give us hearts thrilled at your word. Father, may we be overwhelmed with with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. May we be overwhelmed with all that you have placed us into the body of Christ, your church. And Father, may we never take one another for granted. May we never take your word for granted. May we never take this privilege for granted. And may as each day passes in each of our lives, may our love for you grow more and more. And Father, as each breath you grace us with, Father, may we fall more in love. That Father, we understand the urgency of this day, the urgency of our moments. And yet, Father, the power of the Most High God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for worship. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your church. And Father, we thank you for your holy word and what it does in the hearts of your people. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest in your consciences. We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. For if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. And behold, new things have come. We are looking at a section where the Apostle Paul is taken and is defending his integrity. Um, if you look at Paul's life, you will note that he never defended himself. He never defended his manner of speak. He never defended his uh, attire. He never offended his, his stature or, or who he was. But when it came to his integrity, that was the assault that would come against him. Because um, if at the time of Paul, if I can get people not to trust him, all right, then I can disavow his message. And if I disavow his message, I can come in behind him and give him a false message. Give those that would be gathered to Paul a false message. You still see it today. Uh, we have a little bit better advantage than the Apostle Paul because we have the New Testament. And there are times that you will see pastors be attacked Uh, And yet, if they stand firm on the truth, the truth will still stand. And you cannot take that man's integrity because he is proclaiming truth. Now, I shared with you over these last few weeks, you do have to guard yourself from sin. 
All right, because the attack of the enemy will be first and foremost sin. They want to let me expose some kind of a sin. Uh, if that don't work, then they'll go after doctrine. Okay, if that don't work, then they'll just make up something. And I hate to say that, but that's exactly what to do in the Corinthian church. That's what was going on. But see, the Corinthian church had a small issue. They had a pride problem to start with. Well, once you have that, you've already got division. Okay. Now then, that's why in in first Corinthians, you see, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. Why? It's a pride issue. Right. So there was already a schism that laid there and the apostle Paul was heartbroken over this. But then they come to the point where they would attack the apostle Paul, because if you look at Paul's ministry, anytime he left, false would come in right behind him. Okay, And they would try to raise up to be teachers. He made the comment there in verse 12 who take pride in appearance. All right. It's still today, brothers, sisters. It flourishes. It flourishes all the time. And people want that. Remember, there will come a time when men will not hear sound words. Well, what do they want to listen to? Appearance. Entertain me. Make me feel better. I will warn you right now, this week's message and next week's message is not going to make you feel better. Just a warning. Because when you look at ministry, which is 2 Corinthians, remember, 1 Corinthians is your personal holiness. Okay, We have a tendency to want to worry about everybody else's personal holiness. The issue is you and God. When that is resolved, then you move into ministry. You now have become useful to the king. You cannot be saved and not be a minister. It's impossible. Okay. Now, in some cases, you may only produce a single raisin, but you will produce. What the Apostle Paul is doing in 11 through 17 is defending his integrity because he says there in verse 11, it is the fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord, my reverence for God. All right. I will defend the integrity of my ministry because it's for the Lord. Second thing there in verse 12 was for the church. We want you to have an occasion to be proud of us so you'll have an answer for those who take pride in appearance. Those who are bringing these accusations with nothing to base them on. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? But it was also for the sake of truth. Verse 13, besides ourselves is for God. It literally means out of our minds. I'm beside myself. My grandma used to say it all the time. People are just beside themselves. And you're like, what does that mean? Uh, they kicked the field goal. <laughs> that made them out of their minds. Okay, but that's, that's what they do. And it, it literally means I'm crazy for God. Why? Because of my awe for Him. All right, but I bring it and I collect it together. And that's for you. I am of sound mind. I can slow down my enthusiasm so that you are not overwhelmed by my whoa. Okay, let's see him translate that. <laughs> I've done that in Russia a couple of times, speaking there, and we'll throw out a whoa, and my interpreter just goes, huh. <laughs> 
It speaks for itself. (laughs) Anyway, it's for our Savior, verse 14. Why? Because the love of Christ controls us. Okay, now please understand that verse right there because what he's saying right there is not Paul's love for Christ. It was because of Christ's love for Paul. It freaked him out. He he was so in awe of Christ's love for him, even though he was yet a sinner, that it had pressured him that he wasn't going to change. You weren't going to shut him up. Then he made the king, that it was that the one died for all, therefore all died. Now this is the text that drives people nuts because basically he's saying, I'm speaking to Christians. Okay, not, listen to it, I'll just lay it out as quickly as I can. If you don't want to hear it, go back, this thing's on the world wide web somewhere. And uh, you'll hear it in detail. But basically, the death of Christ was effective for every Christian, or every Christian. Okay? It was efficient for the sin of humanity. Okay? There's a difference between saying, yes, Christ died for me, but do you understand that he's your substitute? Because he does not become your substitute unless you are baptized into his death. Then you are raised to walk in the newness of life. Or righteousness. The newness of life is righteousness. All right, and, and I watch people struggle with that. Why does Paul say to live is Christ, to die is gain? This is important. Remember Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he says, We press on to the upward calling of Christ in God. We press on. I've got a, several here that I was thinking about this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Okay, so it is not the fact that all of humanity universalism is saved. It is those that are in Christ that have died to sin. And we live now to righteousness, the newness of life, the new nature. In Titus chapter uh, what, 2, yeah, Titus 2.14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So you you see this going over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Just in case you think I'm making this up, the letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10-10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works with God, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All right. He died and his death took care of sin. He rose and that took care of our righteousness. Okay. 
So, what happens is, when you stand in that position, people will try to destroy um, the man who will stand on this. And one of the ways they will come after it is that they will try to tell you they know their motives. Okay? Listen, that one there, personally... Is extraordinarily tough to defend. Okay? When people are convinced of your motives, how do you defend that? <laughs> well, you're wrong. <laughs> you're, no, I'm not. Well, oh, all right. <laughs> Maybe I was wrong. Okay? And, and, and Paul lays it out here because what he's trying to show you and I is that people were trying to say that the Apostle Paul, instead of living for righteousness, assumed that he was living for self. Okay? And once people believe that, that's tough. That's tough. So I want to spend this next two weeks... Dealing with Paul's integrity in ministry, but what was his motive? Okay, and 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 I think that this will be, uh, shall we call it, semi enlightening. Okay, uh, it it may be as someone has told me before, it may be toe smashing. Um. Oh well. <laughs> Okay, which is the sixth point there, verses 16 and 17. His defense of his integrity is for the lost. Okay? The reaching of the lost. Did you know that lost people watch you? Now, some of you they don't, because some of you have hidden your Christianity well. Okay? And they have no reason to assume anything about you. But some have taken the stand that says, I am a Christian. Uh, this week I was asked, um, I, I had somebody refer me to a, a home to hang some light fixtures. And um, I began working in the, to hang these light fixtures. And they asked me, how did I know this person who referred me? <laughs> I just looked, I just kept right on working. I said, I'm their pastor. And you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> okay. Well, what are you doing hanging light fixtures? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you called me, lady. <laughs> so I'm just hanging out in your bathroom hanging light fixtures. <laughs> okay. But, but they just kind of, What? Okay, and when you say that, it sort of stuns people. I have a lot of people. You guys also know I work on motorcycles. You know, and I'll be working on a motorcycle, and somebody will say something that is not biblical, thinking that they're speaking biblical, and I'll say, no, that's not right. And they'll say, well, how do you know that? I said, because I'm a pastor. <laughs> and that they get that, what? <laughs> you brought it to me. I'm laying hands on it. No. <laughs> and a wrench. <laughs> But one of the things I've watched is that every time you do that, once you step into that, just put your foot in there, you now have an audience. 
They are watching. They want to see, are you different? Are you different? And one of the things that will reach people for Christ is if they see somebody who's who's different. Those who would come because, did you understand that that's why we're still here? To reach the lost. Um, I look at our brother Paul and I would be hard pressed to say that I have, I know anyone else who has a greater compassion for sinners. Okay. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody who has a great, had a greater burden for those headed for hell. All right. And if you're really honest with yourselves, that was the longing of his heart. I mean, that was his first 100 priorities. Paul, um, I guess if you wanted to use the, the way we would describe it today, uh, Paul had the heart of an evangelist. Okay? Paul wanted to see people come to Christ. All right? In Acts chapter 17, verse 16, he had sent Silas and Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out how much damage had been done up there. He went on, was escorted on over to Athens. And when he got to Athens, the whole city was full of idols and it tore at him. Do you understand that Casarock is full of idols? Did you know that? All right. And yet it doesn't tear at us. We get along with the idols. We even sometimes a pet the idols. Okay, we will tell everybody, well, we just don't put a lot of concern on them like everybody else. But it tore at Paul and it tore at Paul that every day in the market, he couldn't keep silent. He was reasoning with all who were there about the things of God. That's Paul. In Romans chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentile. Okay, now, what's he talking about? He wants to see people saved. Well, how do you get that out of the text? Next verse. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. To the Jew, to the Greek also. So do you see that? He's, he's wanting to come to Rome and see people get saved. That was his passion. Okay? And First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Remember what he said? I am not here to baptize. I am here to preach the gospel. You and I, we struggle with that.
this gospel that is called foolishness. I'll preach it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I am determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ, Him crucified. I'm starting to see a pattern in this guy. What do you think? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So you see why he's going to defend his integrity? If people don't believe me, why do you preach? So he's going to defend his integrity. Why? I'm under compulsion. Cursed is me if I don't. That's amazing. Verse 17. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if it's against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. This man had a heart for lost people. In Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10, I won't go through all of it. I'll freak you guys out. Verses 1 to 3 of chapter 9, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Okay? That I have great sorrow and increasing grief in my heart. What is the increasing grief and sorrow in your heart, Paul? I could wish that I myself accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I, I am sick wishing myself separated from Christ for my people Israel. The people who stoned him and left him for dead. The people who were trying to kill him in the country and in the cities. I would give up my salvation would my people Israel be saved. Chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. So, with very cursory challenge, I can show you a man who has a passion, an overwhelming passion to see people saved. If he lost his integrity, if he lost his credibility, he loses the ability to impact the lost. And how terrible would that have been for a man with that great a passion? Okay? Now I want to get you back to the, our text, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 16. All right? Now, this verse is a little strange at times. You read it about two dozen times. It's sort of like, uh, I don't, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, Paul's having a moment. Okay, now let me show you something about this passion for the lost. Look what he says there. Therefore, from now on. Stop right there. Okay. Now, therefore is the sum of the previous. What was he talking about in the past? 
The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Okay, that's saved people. Right? So from that point, from then on, therefore, because of salvation, all right, not of ourselves, people, the ones who are walking in the newness of life, who are walking in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, those people, okay, since we are in Christ redeemed, since we died and rose to enter into the newness of life, therefore, from then on, Then on, since the time of our conversion, since the time of the Apostle Paul's transformation, when that substitutional relationship with Jesus that he had acquired personally by faith, salvation, since Paul stepped into the walking in the newness of life at that very time. From then on, he says. Okay, from then on what, Paul? What? We know nobody according to the flesh. What the heck does that mean? It's really simple if you think about it. Look at the man, Paul. Since his conversion. Okay. All right. The little problem on the Damascus Road. He doesn't look at people externally anymore. Got it? At the flesh. Because of this new life, he has a new knowledge. He has a new perspective. Okay? He now has a spiritual knowledge. He has a spiritual perspective. Grab a hold of this, people. This is crucial to every single one of you this day. This is urgent this day. Paul, at his conversion, now has a spiritual sight. No longer see people purely on the outside. He doesn't look at them at the physical perspective anymore. No longer does he evaluate by what he sees. Believers, our evaluation, as believers, our evaluations, our assessments, once was based on physical appearance and behavior. Was it not? Before your conversion, how did you judge people? By their actions, by their acts. How did they dress? What's their educational background? Where are they in society? What does their gene pool look like? Ain't that what we do? You know what tragedy is? Too many of us today still do. And I'm talking about this room. Do we base it on social perspectives? Perhaps it's just personality. As Christians, we should not do that anymore. 
Because you know why? That's how the lost do it. And we walk in the newness of life. See, you meet a nice person. They're charming. They're fun. We have a lot in common. You know what happens? We stop right there and our number one concern is their relationship with God. And we never push that issue. I guarantee you right now. Everybody in this room is guilty of this. What is your spiritual belief? And do you want to know if it's wrong? I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how well dressed you are. I don't care where you are on the social ladder. I don't care your political background. I don't care what house you live in. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care how tall you are, how talented you are, whether you're into sports, whether you're into hunting or fishing, or whether you just like pinochle. I want to know what is your relationship with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Because everything else is irrelevant. And every Christian should have that perspective now with everybody that they deal with. We can't see people purely in the flesh. You may have a very nice neighbor. They may be kind. They may be helpful. They may be some of the charmingest people that you've ever met in your life. And you should never be content until you find out whether they have the right relationship with Jesus Christ or not. I don't, Paul says, since my conversion, I don't look at people in the flesh anymore. You can't take people at face value. You can't judge a book by its cover. We should be more impressed with the greater burden. Okay? But there's also the other side of this. And I was trying to figure out what word to use here. And so I came up with this one. You may not like this word, but it's the best one that I could come up with without just really being deleted on the editing of this. The non-desirables. Some of you remember Terry, the town drunk, was murdered a few years ago. They said he fell. Okay. They found him face down. He's got a big dent in the back of his head. Perhaps he bounced. Okay. How's come everybody was afraid of him? Nobody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to stay away from him. I remember when we were downtown, he used to come in and say, go play the piano. And you'd hear him downstairs going, bang, 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 like Gabby. And, <laughs> you know, Terry, do you know you can't play that? <laughs> you know. But, you know, I I kept sharing with him. No, he didn't get saved. But the whole town was afraid of him. He was a doof. And you know what is amazing about him? He needed Christ as much as anybody in this room. There's no more superficial to it. We should have an ache for those who do not know the Lord. 
what their eternity is, you and I know. Why would we keep it a secret from them? You know you're going to hell. Well, you know, all of my friends are going to be there. It's black. You can't see nothing. All you will hear is weeping and gnashing. Really? Paul is saying, don't look at people that way anymore. Why? Because that is in the past. Remember what he says? Therefore, from now on. The therefore is what? When I died with Christ to be raised to walk in the newness of life. Remember verse 12? Those who take pride in appearance... We're not one of those. We don't do that anymore. We don't worry about the appearance. And yet, how many of us run into people who are? You know, that lady asked me, how did I meet these people? And I said, I am their pastors. As I stood there with my Carhartts on and an old ragged t-shirt. You are their pastor? And you're dressed like that? It was clean this morning. (laughs) It's that sweating thing that always gets me down. Paul says, you're not one of those. We are not one of those. And I want to be specific about this because um, this is key to the Apostle Paul in chapter 6 of the letter to the Galatians, verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You know what Paul's talking about right there? Religious people. Religious people. They make a good appearance in the flesh looks good have a good show and let me tell you something brothers and sisters that is the way the false are that's the way they have been since the time of the apostle paul that's the way they are to this very day they have a good showing in the flesh remember they said paul's speech was contemptible I mean, just look at him. He's unimpressive. Paul says, you know what? I don't look at people that way anymore. I don't see people that way anymore. Um, Even the way some people would look at me, I don't care. You know, I've had people say, well, I saw you the other day on a motorcycle and you, what does that mean? Only sinners ride motorcycles? Really? (laughs) Some of you saying, yeah, everybody knew that, didn't you? (laughs) Deceived yourself, but again, didn't you? Okay, but you see what I'm trying to get at? People don't understand that. I look at it this way. I'm a better steward of my gas money than you are. (laughs) So there. I'm getting 60 miles to the gallon. What are you getting? I can even beat one of your little battery cars. 
And I look cooler. <laughs> but he said, I'm trying to get at I see this all the time. I hear it all the time. You know, this lady was stunned. You're a pastor? Well, you don't want to tell me to go in your bathroom. <laughs> you know? Do you see what I'm trying to get? This is the thing that you and I, we still get caught in it. I had a person come to me who is, lives a very violent, horrific life. I was working on his motorcycle, and he says, I hear you're a pastor. And I said, yes. And he says, i got to tell you something. I don't want you to tell anybody. That's why I ain't going to mention who he is or what he is. He says, my conscience is driving me nuts. I shared the gospel with him. I ain't seen him since. What else am I going to do? Dude, you think your conscience is bothering you now? Spend eternity in hell. That'll really drive you goofy. Since Paul's salvation, no longer do I view people by the world's standards. Used to. Used to. Remember? I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Pharisee. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised. He understood it. He said it in Philippians 3. He says, when I came to Christ, he says, I looked at all that and it was <gasps> scublion. You know what that is, right? Poo-poo. Or for the more sophisticated, we would call it manure. Or if you really want to get dung. <laughs> Paul says, you know what? I quit looking at people that way. Because their best is what? As Isaiah said, my most righteous deeds are is filthy rags. Now, I'll let you go look up that word. I don't want no part of that because that's nastier than dung. Okay, you go look it up. Paul says, I don't look at people that way anymore. See, he sees differently. The Apostle Paul, think about this. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Right? A Pharisee. Tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised on the eighth day. Apostle to the... Who? Gentiles. Peter struggled with going to Gentiles? Paul had absolutely no resentment to Gentiles. He had a new love that was in Christ. This new love that he had, guess what? There's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no master, there is no slave. There's no male, there is no female. It was this mystery he kept throwing out. The mystery has been revealed to us. What is it? The wall between the Jew and the Gentile is gone. We are all one in Christ. Paul says, I am indebted to who? The Jews and the Gentiles. You ever thought about that? Lost people I am indebted to. I must give you. Because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking, what is your ministry? It is the ministry of reconciliation. You are reconciling lost, blind, naked, depraved people back to a holy, righteous, perfect God. And that is the responsibility of anyone who is saved. Well, I don't have the gift of salvation or gift of evangelism. That ain't what it says. We, Paul understood that he would go from city to city and he would look for a synagogue. 
Those who know the word of God to save the Jews and to win the Gentiles. In Athens, he was speaking to the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. Why? And make them one body. That's one of these things that I see today when I hear churches basing their ministries on demographic studies. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There's no such thing as a messianic congregation. Okay? You're Jewish and you have to attend a Jewish Christ-believing church? Really? So what was Paul's point? You see what I'm trying to get at? Well, you know, I come from an area where you had black churches. Tickle me to death. I got a very dear friend who pastors a big church up in Syracuse, New York. I said, Syracuse, New York. Okay. I don't want to hear about these Southerners. Okay. Their constitution, their church constitution says whites and black will not worship together. Okay. This is in the year 2000. And that's what it says. Syracuse, New York. You know what's hilarious about it? My friend's black. The pastor. There is no delineation. See, what I'm trying to get at, people, is the barrier is gone. Okay? And because that barrier is gone, we are one in Christ. All right? And if I sit around and I look at people based on... Your race, your sex, your place in society, whether you do this or whether you do that, I'm in sin. I'm evaluating you the same way that lost people evaluate people. But I walk in the newness of life. Paul would go to a synagogue to save Jews and to win Gentiles. Why? He wanted to see one body. Listen, there's all kinds of barriers out there, people. We throw them up everywhere. The true view of every man, woman, and child is that they are an eternal soul. And you cannot judge by external features. You can't do it. Listen, there are people that I know are saved that are as annoying as the day is long. But they're saved. And for me to get over their annoyance, what do I look at? That's an eternal soul. Okay? Listen, I look at everybody and what is their spiritual condition? Listen, and when I talk about spiritual condition, I'm not saying, well, you know, I've, I've got perfect attendance at Sunday school. That ain't spiritual condition. Okay? Because there are people who want to look good on the outside spiritually. And in, in the inside, there's nothing there. They're a whitewashed tomb. I've got to give you a verse because, you know, people keep talking and saying, well, you just said that people annoy you. And I have a biblical preference or biblical reference for it. All right. So you don't think that I'm just being a meanie. Probably my favorite verse in all of Scripture There's a big buzz in Christianity today. Uh, And I hear, um, I have to spend time. That doesn't sound right. I have to spend time with these other pastors. (laughs) But I do. 
And they like to use this phrase. You know, we all have different philosophies of ministry. Okay, the first time I heard that, I was like, wow, that's like profound. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, man, that's like stupid. Okay, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, it came up again. And I couldn't stop it. No, we have one philosophy of ministry, sir. Really? Yeah, one. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, where it works mightily. Within me. It's Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. 29. That's it. That's it. I look at the spiritual condition even of believers. There's nothing superficial there. I don't want to care what football team is your favorite. You know, I don't care what sports you do or do not like. I don't care whether you like avocados or not. That is a non-issue for me. I can sit quietly in a room full of people who are talking about everything under the sun and I don't care. And it isn't because I'm cold-hearted. It is because I'm more concerned about the eternal condition of people. And I admonish and I teach trying to present every man complete, whole, in case, lacking nothing in Christ. You got my work cut out for me. <laughs> but that's it, brothers and sisters. That's it in a nutshell. You see it in the very Paul. Look at his passion and he writing the letters of the new testament he wants everybody to be little christ christians and i get in more trouble saying well you don't look saved well i can't believe you would say that you don't know my heart out of the mouth speaks it there should be a whole new perspective that you and i have Looking for people to be transformed, to walk in the newness of life, to walk in the righteousness of Christ, to have a passion for the holiness and perfection and grace and mercy of our Lord and our Savior. Paul had a deep burden for souls. His knowledge of Christ changed everything. Now, now uh, you take it back, because uh, if you go back to the Corinthian letter, I- I'll show you how this works. Look what he says here. We recognize no one according to the flesh. Now look what he says here. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Okay, now think about this for a second. Paul had a human understanding of who is Jesus. All right? He understood that. Now, I do not believe this implies he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. He would have known of him. All right. Um, Paul would have had a human assessment of Jesus Christ about this man. 
All right? He would have come to a conclusion. This Jewish man was really stirring up a lot of poo, if you think about it. I mean, he'd been in the temple twice and turned over the money changers' tables, had a whip and running people out. You know that if you were hanging out at the temple and all of a sudden seeing Jesus cruising up the steps, I'm thinking I'm going to go get me a burger now. This is going to get ugly. Right? You don't do that in the temple and be in the line of the Pharisees and not understand who this man is. He was a troublemaker. He would have been classified, as you said around the great biblical scholars, he was a heretic. He was a blasphemer. He had this understanding. Paul judged him as a man worthy of death. And Paul judged him also saying, you know what? Anybody would follow this man, they're worthy of death too. In Acts chapter 26, verse 9 and following, he gives his testimony of Jesus Christ. A fascinating, just one verse, I won't go through the whole thing, but in chapter 26, verse 9. So then, I thought myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name Of Jesus of Nazareth. Alright. Why did he think that? Because he had made a human assessment. On what he perceived. But he says now. Not anymore. I knew him in the flesh. I knew him as. Saul of Tarsus. But now. I know him as Paul. The apostle to the Gentiles. His view changed. He understands now that, you know what? Jesus is not an enemy to Jews. Now, I see Jesus is God incarnate. I see Jesus as the Savior and the Lord of existence. That's why I don't look at him anymore from that perspective of humanity. I look more because of spiritual eyes have been opened. On the road to Damascus, he was on his way to do what? Arrest Christians. Right? On the road, when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What was his response? Lord, what would you have me do? Right? That's a different perspective. Why was Paul compelled to minister? Lord, what would you have me do? (laughs) He had gone from heretic to ruler of the creation. That is a different view. When his view of Jesus changed, his view of everyone changed. See that? How about you? Your view of everyone is foundational to your view of Jesus. How do you see Christ? Because I can watch you live your lives and the way you deal with people shows me your view of Christ. 
Does everybody feel happy yet? See, there has to come a time in your lives, in our lives, when we realize that what is at stake here is eternal souls. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, to your praise and to your glory, may we view people the way our brother Paul did. Father, let us quit making external judgments. Let us bow before you and see the eternal souls of men and women. Some we would perceive as desirable, some we would perceive as undesirable. But Father, we all know they are one when they are in you. Help us as Paul saw Christ for who he was. Help us to see Christ for who he is. And Father, may we also see his creation for what he has given for it. And rejoice that we can be a part of the eternal blessing of souls into the kingdom of heaven. Help us, Father. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts overwhelmed by the joy of our salvation. To your praise and to your glory. Amen.